Welcome to another podcast by Victoria Point Baptist Church. We are glad you have joined us today. If you would like to connect with us as we aim to introduce people to Jesus by connecting with our local community and beyond, you can find out more at vpbc.com.au. And Heavenly Father, Lord, we have, we have hope, uh, not just wishful thinking. Uh, we have hope because we know that you have conquered. Uh, we know the end game, that you are victorious. And we stand on that confidence, Lord. And we boldly proclaim you as Lord based on that confidence. And so thank you that we can come together today. Thank you that we can celebrate you because you have won. And uh, Lord, I just pray that today you would speak through me. Lord, this broken vessel, would you, your words come out? And would you do the miracle of translating something broken into something that's from you? And uh, Lord, we hear from you today. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said... Amen. Amen. If you'd like to grab a seat, that would be fantastic. Well, I've decided that I'm back being an Aussie again after the Matilda's great win yesterday. <laughs> the joys of being uh, Kiwi Aussie is uh, flip and choose whenever I want. Uh, it's wonderful. Uh, but today we're talking about the body and uh, part of what we are kicking into is looking at discipleship. What does it look like to become Christ-like? What does it look like to, to be what God is calling us as his people to be? And um, I wonder if you know what this is. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, well, you guys are really clever. Uh, who, who's actually finished this? You're all, okay, Ross has. You've got a few clever bunnies here. Who's finished it without knowing how to do it? Yeah. <laughs> Um, this has been sitting on my son's shelf for a couple of years and it's just been annoying me. It's just been, you know, like that challenge that you just can't get to. And I'm like, I'm going to give it a go. So I'm like, I pulled the Rubik's Cube out and I'm like, I'm going to have a crack. And how hard can it be? You know, I see these kids on YouTube do it in like three and a half seconds. I'm like, yeah, can't be that hard. Yeah, right? Um, really hard, really tricky. And um, uh, it takes a lot more thought and thinking, every time you sort of align one side up, it ruins the other side. And it's, uh, I don't know if you've ever used, but it's frustrating. I came out very frustrated at my attempts of trying to do this Rubik's Cube. And uh, it, I, I likened it a bit like the body of Christ. Like we are the body. We're all different. We're all different. I was going to say different colours, but we probably are. But we all have different giftings, different skills, different uh, passions and all these things. And it can be a bit like trying to organise a Rubik's Cube. You're trying to find your spot. And if you love Jesus today and you're like, okay, recognize that you are called to be a part of his body, uh, then you'd recognize the need to belong and to fit in. But we often don't know how we do that. Like, How do we do it? Like, how do we find our fit? How do we operate in our fit? Are we just doing what's comfortable? Are we just doing what comes easy? Or are we actively, obediently engaged in where God has us, it's a, or where he wants us. It's a really big question uh, that we need to wrestle with. And, but it can be frustrating trying to navigate how that fits. And so if you've got your Bibles, uh, we're going to kick into Romans 12. Uh, Frank read it beautifully. And I'm going to do it a little bit out of sync, so it's intentional. Uh, but we're going to kick into verse 4. So I'll get my doobie whacker, turn it on. Uh, Romans chapter... 12, verse 4, and I'm going to read together. There we go. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not belong 
do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And we have this beautiful picture of a body with lots of different parts, uh, but we all belong together. And I like you've probably heard maybe a hundred different sermons on this over the years, however many it is. We know the concept, um, but think about it like this. Imagine that all of us, like, instead of all of you here today, imagine that our church was made up of 500 Sams. Now, that's a scary proposition, and, and it's an interesting thought. It's like, okay, it would probably be very uh, overactive, overhyped, way too much energy, and uh, there'd probably be a lot of deficient things running in the life of the church. But I wonder if the church was made up of 500 of yous, 500 Romans, Pauls, what, what would the church look like if it was you replicated, multiplied 500 times? You know, like, the questions that I would ask is, would the church be healthy? Would the church have a kids' ministry? Would a church have a seniors' ministry? Would the, the poor people be fed? Would we have a food bank that gives out food to people? Would we have chaplaincies? Would we have pastoral care? Wonder what the life of prayer would look like in the body of Christ if it was all made up of you. I wonder if there would be a budget, if there'd be any finance. You know, these are confronting questions when we start to unpack, you know, what does it look like if it was me multiplied as the church? And we, as we start to ask that question, uh, we start to consider the significance of each other, the significance of the other people around us and the gifts they bring and the skills they have and what it looks like to be healthy church in that we start to really recognise the need for us, that we belong to each other. You belong to me, I belong to you. And that is a really significant statement Paul is making here, that members, we actually belong together, that there's something significant about the local church owning itself, owning that relationship together. In verse 6, continues, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraged, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So basically, whatever your gift is, do it. And it's an interesting question if I was to say, you know, what is your gift? If you had to turn to the person, I won't do it because, you know, that's super awkward. But if you were to hypothetically turn to the person next to you and explain to them, your fit in the church. What is it that you are called to do and belong and actively engage in, in the church? I wonder what sort of conversation would go through your head. Would it be embarrassment? Would it be, I don't know. I wonder if we've ever asked God where we fit. Like it's, it's, It sounds so simple, but I just wonder if we've ever actually considered the fact that the Spirit of God is drawing and calling us to belong and have an active role in what is church. Have we ever considered that God is putting something there for us or has something for us that maybe we haven't considered? Now, um, this Rubik's Cube, la, 
It was the last Saturday. I was like, I'm going to set some serious time aside because I'm, I'm going to nail it. Uh, so I spent three hours, and my kids were like, what are you doing, Dad? Uh, three hours, and the best I could do was almost one side. Now, I was hoping to impress you today. Uh, truth, truth, full disclosure, I was hoping to impress you guys with a completed Rubik's Cube, and you go, wow, our pastor's so smart, wow, great. Um, so to disappoint you, um, but uh, this Rubik's Cube, it, it was frustrating. But there's a little bit, I jumped on YouTube, and there's, there's a formula, there's a pattern that helps you get sides. And so I started to, to, to work out a bit of the pattern, and um, I saw another one yesterday that's going to help me, so I'm going to have another crack this week, see if I can get more than almost one side. And um, there's a bit of a pattern to doing it, and uh, it can help us. There's a bit of a pattern that can help us find our place in church. There's a, there's a bit of a formula uh, that can help us find our fit. And so well, we did this a number of years ago. It's the Shape series. And I'm going to flick through it because it's really, really helpful. And uh, these are the different gifts. And it's the acronym. Like any good Baptist sermon has an acronym, uh, Shape, and that can help us recognize spiritual gifts, heart, ability, personality, and experiences. But our spiritual gifts are the, what we've just read. Uh, from Paul. They are the, the giving, serving, leadership, mercy, evangelism. They're kind of the, the things that God gives you uniquely and by his spirit to bless and transform the church and grow his kingdom. Um, they are ones that he gives. Uh, as we walk with him, he develops gifts in our lives. As we spend time with him, he does this work in our hearts and brings things to life as a, as a gift. It's an over and abundance, something that is like when people look in at your life, they'll see something that is radically, uh, I was going to say like ridiculous, but not ridiculous, but radically different to what a normal person expects. So it's a, it's a spiritual gifting that the Spirit of God empowers you into. Uh, and we all have spiritual gifts. There's a fun fact. Paul talks about that, that we, each of us have a gift. And have we considered what they are? Don't come to me or Paul or uh, any of the other team. This is a you and God conversation. What is my spiritual gift? How do I operate in that? Uh, the second one is heart. And this is our passions. Sometimes God speaks through our passions. Sometimes he leads us and he gives us uh, where we fit, where we fit into church by our passion, what are, we, what are we laying in bed at night and we can't stop thinking about? Maybe it's the poor and oppressed. Maybe it's social justice. Maybe it's injustice. Maybe it's the, the homeless. Maybe it's whatever that maybe might be in your life. What drives you? What frustrates you? What annoys you? These are great questions to, to navigate your heart, your passions, where God is leading you. Often God is giving us passions and he wants us to be faithful and operate on them. Sometimes, sometimes we pour cold water on our passions. Uh, I have a relative who, at a young age, she had a passion to be a missionary. She told mum that she, all she could think about was being a missionary. And, and mum and dad said no. There's not enough money in, there's no money in being a show. <laughs> Dumb idea. And um, poured cold water on her passion and she ha has never regained her sense of identity. Her whole life has been chaos. And she hasn't followed that. And so someone's poured cold water on her passions. Has someone poured cold water on your passions? Maybe, maybe something that God has birthed in you at a younger age that, that has just been a driving force and you haven't, haven't been obedient, you haven't followed through, or someone has 
frustrated you, maybe someone has, has disappointed you, and there's a thousand reasons why you can justify not in your head. But at the end of the day, we, we have to stand before God and give an account for what he has given us. What passions have we neglected? That's a hard one. Our abilities is, is like, what, what are we good at? You, you know, can we, you know, I, I will not be on the band because I have zero talents there. And I am so grateful for Matt and his team of musos who are incredibly gifted. They have talents. What talents do you have naturally or learnt that you can bring to contribute to the body of Christ, to the church? Uh, the fourth one is personality. What different types of personalities do you not, hopefully you haven't got multiple personalities, <laughs> but what sort of personality do you have that God is wanting to use? If, if you, are you warm and bubbly and you just can't wait to greet people? Why are you not at the front door? You know, like it's, it's that sense of uh, what, are we, what are we on about? If you just love serving and, and do you love mowing lawns? You know, like it, we're talking really practical and, and I know we're talking quite insular and just looking at our church. Uh, but there's this real sense that we are called to belong to each other in a local setting, and that is church. Um, what, what is it that drives you? What is it that your personality puts you in a really great place? Now, the reason we don't advertise for youth leaders is because not everyone can lead youth. Uh, there's a genuine personality thing. Um, some people frustrate you. Sometimes you frustrate them. And so there can be a disconnect in personalities. And we want to be real with that. You know, God has wired us differently. But what is your personality traits? What area can you consider or do you feel like God is calling you in using and recognising your personality as uniquely made? Where do you naturally gravitate to? When we do the welcome and connect, do you naturally hide away. You know, this rec- it's, not, it's not a guilt thing. It's like the introverts are like, ah, oh, this is the worst time in the world. And um, we recognise that. And we're not going to put you on the front door and welcome, you know, hundreds of people every morning. Uh, but recognising that we have personalities that are wired from God. And the, four, the fifth one is experiences. These are the things that your history, your past experiences have, have contributed to you being you. Uh, they might be traumatic experiences, that have given you a heart of empathy and compassion for people. There's a lot, a lot of counsellors have had a traumatic experience, a traumatic upbringing, and it has given them the empathy and the compassion to be able to engage with people. What life experiences have you got that God is like, hey, I want to use this? Maybe you've got an experience in building buildings and you're a great building, you love missions. And when you see the slides about Paul sending a team over to Vanuatu, your heart leaps. Would you consider doing that? You know, what is it that you have that God has given you, that your experiences have shaped you in a way that you can start to fit together in how church operates and how church could operate? Would you consider and go to God with that? And one of the, the things that stops us from trying to find our shape is often that we live self-centred lives and not Christ-centred lives. And this is what Paul is getting at. He's like, when you belong to each other, when we start to recognise that, that we belong and called to belong to each other, it changes our mindset of how we do church, why we do church, why we even come together at all. Uh, verse 3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. See, we'll never find our fit if we're trying to get the church to fit around us. 
You know that one little green square? I just couldn't get that to move. And I was trying to move everything else around to try and get that green square to, to slide away. But it's, it's that, what is our approach? Are we trying to make church about us, for us? See, church is, is not for us at all. It's not meant to be about us. It's all about God. It's his body, his people, he's the head. And when we take a step back and recognise and have a kingdom perspective of church, we start to realise that, you know what, I'm still going to come to things that I don't enjoy because I value church. But when we have a self-centred attitude, it's like, oh, you know, that list of things, that, you know, I didn't really like how it was done last time. Well, that's how I didn't really like that thing. I'm going to you know, not, not contribute, not be a part because of X, Y, Z. And we recognise that, you know what, we're a body, we're a family. And uh, that changes our desire to want to try and fit and to find our fit in church. There's, uh, cultivating that humility is a really big deal in us, us becoming and living out what it is to be church. Uh, verse 1 Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper act of worship. Proper act, proper worship. Uh, this is the gifts for the body individually. And this is Christian maturity. You know, if you, if you were to say to Sam, you say, Sam, what does Christian maturity look like? I would say Christian maturity is not your capacity to intellectualize the gospel. Christian maturity isn't having perfect theology. You know, it's something funny that when you start to develop a perfect theology, it wrecks every other piece of your perfect theology. It is true. Like you, you develop a perfect theology of grace and you realise that what you've done over here is you've completely distorted the theology of truth. It, it's really, really hard to have a perfect ideal in, in our human brokenness and our limited capacity to understand the incredible nature of God. We, we're never going to land at a perfect theology on anything. But when we recognise that we are gracious and we recognise that the body's never going to be perfect but I'm still called to be belong and be a part of it, it changes my desire. Um, Christian maturity is your willingness to serve. Your willingness to give of yourself. That I become less, that, that God becomes more. You know, John the Baptist said that. He said, look, would I become less, would Jesus become more? Would our attitude as we try to find our fit in the church be that? That I become less, that God becomes more. That he becomes glorified in this place. And what does that look like? That means that I don't mind cleaning the toilets because it's not about me. It's that attitude of, you know, like we've, we're still, Paul and I are still waiting to see someone put their hand up with a spiritual gift of toilet cleaning. Hasn't happened yet. I'm just praying that one day, no. But it's that thing is, you know, if we consider ourselves as a body, as a people, as a, as a family, and then it's, the heart moves from getting away of what I, little I can do to contributing to see the body flourish. We've been given gifts to serve the church. Our gifts are given for the church, for the body, uh, for it to grow and develop. Awesome. Verse 2, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, uh, pleasing and perfect will. This is key, this verse. Verse 2 is, is key. And if you're wondering how does all happens, how do I find my fit? I, I recognise that I need to get from there to there. How do I find my fit? How do I find my place? This is how. 
And if you're looking at it, you're like, what, what does this mean? Uh, there's a key word in there, I've highlighted it for you to make it easy, then. This key word, then, is significant. You see, do not conform to the patterns of the world. Don't become like the world, but be transformed in your thinking. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. You, you, then you'll be able to find your place. See, until we have a transformed mind, we're never going to discover our place. We're never going to be able to find our fit in church until we have this renewal that it's not about us. It's not about me. It's not, it's not about what I get out of church. It's not about my favourite style of church. And when we start to have that transformation thinking in our lives, we start to recognise that, that and here where God wants us to be and to fit in into his body. But that transformation is really significant. That then is really significant. One of the tr- troubles we have is, is we try to fit in without a transformed mind. We try to find our fit. And what we do is we just move everyone else out of our way. We just distort. But when we have this transformed thinking that it's not about me, that's about God, it starts to change how and my desire to fit into the church. God's gifts He's given is primarily to serve the church, to develop people, to disciple people. And this is a significant, as we look at becoming Christ followers, as becoming more Christ-like, this is the discipleship journey is us becoming more like Christ. And as we become more like Christ, his church becomes more like him collectively. But it's frustrating. It's frustrating trying to find your fit. And I'm, I'm not sitting up here standing and saying, hey, you know, bad you for not finding your place. This is, this is my journey. Find, trying to find my, my, my space, my fit, what I can do. You know, where is God calling me to? Sometimes just doing what comes naturally isn't where God wants me. Sometimes God, often God, if you look at the Bible, read through the New Testament, God calls people out of their comfort zone. So it's not just what you're comfortable doing, not what you're naturally good at, find easy. Often it's just hearing God and listening and being obedient and like maybe, maybe I've just been justifying not working with, with young people because they annoy me. Um, and maybe I'm sitting in that place and I'm like, well, it's not, you know, it's not really my thing. You know, kids smell, uh, whatever that might be. And that's become your justification for not being in that space. Maybe that's, that's between you and God. But would we consider that the church and the mission of God is more significant than my internal comfort? But it is frustrating. But I think one of the, we, haven't, we haven't touched on the biggest issue. The biggest issue of why I find it hard to find my fit. Look at that. I've even messed it up even in just this little moment I've been talking. I'll put it aside. Uh, but the biggest, the biggest issue, I think, of why we struggle to find our fit in church, why do we not belong, why do we struggle so much, is that we don't see the church the way God sees the church. See, if I was to ask ABC or the BBC or if I was to ask the project on TV, I'd say, hey, would you define the church for me? You're probably going to get a really distorted, broken image. Some of us, have, we, we take hold of the way the world sees the church and we, we see the church as this broken thing. We see this church as this, this thing that's, that's thoroughly corrupted. And, and look, you know, there's, there's a lot of evidence today. You know, you turn through the pages of history, the Crusades wasn't really particularly a good thing. <clears throat> I understand the political dimensions of that, but there's a, there's a whole lot of things. There's abuse scandals, there's royal commissions that have sort of highlighted a whole lot of things. And so we can look at a church and think, oh, yuck. Why would I belong to that? 
And we can we genuinely take hold of it, and that can change and affect our thinking. We're like, oh, the church is kind of this broken thing. I'm going to keep myself distant. I'm not really going to jump in. I'm not going to really invest myself into this. I'm going to be a distant spectator and just see where the thing goes. And then we consider God's view. And, and I don't want to just present my thoughts as God's views. I want to dig into the Bible because I think it's significant that we hear God's heart for his people. And we start to see this incredible picture. And then the language that comes through the New Testament, particularly for the church, is this picture of a bride. And we're going to flick through a few verses because I think I really want to make this point. Ephesians 5.27, Husband loves your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. As 2 Corinthians 11.2, I am jealous for you of a jealous, uh, with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband to Christ so that I might present to you as a pure virgin to him. This is the, the language God's using of, of this incredible bride marriage relationship. This is beautiful. This is The authors here are trying to find the most richest and impacting language to communicate the God's love for his church. Now, some of you might be thinking, you know, uh, how, how, do we, how do I be the church? Like, how do I be a bride? You know, as a guy, that's a confronting question. I'm not, you know, it's, as a bride, how do I, I don't see myself as a bride per se. But it's that imagery of recognising that, that it's the most intimate, special occasion. It's the most incredible moment. Uh, it's, it's something incredibly beautiful. I mean, that's why brides wear white. Um, because it's, it's that purity, it's that desire, it's that love and affection, it's that beauty. No bride ever walks down the aisle and everyone's like, well, well that was a disappointment. And even if you're thinking it, you don't say it, you know, because it's such a beautiful thing. And it's like everyone's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. You know, fake smiles, um, you look beautiful. And um, it, it's because we recognise that it's the most incredible occasion in their life. It's something so significant. And this is what the authors are saying. Hey, it's significant. Uh, Revelations 19.7, Let us rejoice and, and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That, that's us. That's us. We've, we've been made ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And this fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Uh, these references emphasize the deep love, sacrificial nature, and purity of the relationship between Christ and the church, drawing parallels to the profound union found in marriage. Uh, the bride of Christ concept underscores the spiritual unity and eternal bond between Christ and his believers. So I'm the bride of Christ, not individually, but collectively with you. So we are collectively the bride of Christ. And when we start to change our thinking and recognise that, it changes why I fit in. It changes my desire to want to be a part of this. God profoundly loves the church. He profoundly loves, deeply, intensely, richly. It's his body. And the world has been pulling and tearing down the church for the last 2,000 years. But God still loves it. And he sees it as something beautiful. But, and this is a, something that I need to repent of. I have, I've taken hold of this, this picture of, oh, you know, there's problems in a church. Oh, bad church, bad people. God loves his church. And God's heart breaks for the condition of the church. But he still absolutely loves it. Do we love the church? 
Do we? I mean, it's a confronting question. Do we actually love the body of Christ? Do we love the church? Revelation 19 verse 9 says, Then the angel said to me, write this down, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Now, this is confession time for Sam. Um, I didn't want to get married. <laughs> well, not that I didn't want to get married. I just didn't want the ceremony. I wanted to elope. I'm like, oh, such an effort. I just, you know, people, um, all the, the cost, you know, the money. I'm like, ah, um, and then the food organization and all that. And it's just like, I just really wanted to elope because I'm like, you know what, just grab my wife and go. And um, I was more interested in the honeymoon and I was more interested in the after party, the banquet, you know, that you know, God talks about the banquet of the wedding. And it's just like, I wanted that. I wanted the feast. But I didn't want to have to go through the process of getting dressed up and, you know, making a big deal. And uh, I, I think for many of us, we want to elope on church. You know, God is wanting us to prepare ourselves as a bride. It's not that we're working for salvation. We don't need to work for salvation. And this is where Christianity is different every other belief system. Every other belief system is I try hard enough to be good enough to be accepted. And Jesus is like, no, you are accepted from that place. And then now, hey, you can ready yourself as a bride getting ready. My, my wife was an hour late to our wedding because I love bringing it up when she's not here. Um, <laughs> I've got a few more years left in that. Um, but uh, because she was getting ready and it's just like everything had to be perfect and it's like it's, there was a huge amount of intense focus and it wasn't her fault, I have to say. It wasn't her fault. Uh, but there was this whole fuss around being ready and it's it purifying herself and becoming right. And it's, it's, it's this, the same sort of thing. This is why we deal with sin in our lives. You imagine a bride with a beautiful white dress falling over. Now, when I was a kid, I actually saw a bride fall into a pool, and it was hilarious. Um, <laughs> traumatic for those there, but, you know, it's at that, sight, that, that sense that, um, you know, you're like, what? can't believe that happened. Um, and you're like, the gasp and the horror is because it's kind of like, there's things that shouldn't be there. That's, you get mud on your dress, and it's like, whoa, world's ending. Um, and that's how the church ought to be with sin, with the corruption of, the, of human minds and nature and, and the flesh outworking. He's like, would we have the same attitude of that in our lives? And this is why God's like, hey, do a deal, like deal with your, the sin that's entangling in your life. And Hebrews 11 talks about that, about the sin that so easily entangles. And God wants us to remove it because it's not meant to be there. And when we're not enjoying, not celebrating, we are God's bride. And when we take a view that we are God's bride together, collectively, we want to help each other. I went to a wedding once and um, uh, there's there's mud on, on the groom's shirt, a little bit of black mud, and there's a huge fuss around getting it clean. I think it was grease, actually, and they couldn't get it off. And they're like, oh, no. And everyone came together and they're trying to work out together. And that's how the church ought to operate, with its different members working to help and encourage and, and speak life and truth into each other, that we work together like, hey, we can be better church. We can, and it's like we're not just sitting in a retirement home waiting for God to take us home when we become saved. It's like, no, this is preparing for this incredible feast that God is calling us to, and it gets me excited. So I'm so glad my wife won and we had a glorious wedding. We didn't elope because I come to recognise afterwards the fact that it was the families coming together was significant. There's an incredible moment of belonging together and it's that togetherness that is really significant as we consider that we are the beautiful bride of church and maybe you don't feel beautiful. 
but you are beautiful. You are beautiful collectively together. We are beautiful. And this is not trying to create some sort of stoic egocentrism, but uh, to recognise that you know, we are beautiful in God's eyes and that how, he's, how he sees it. Two weeks before a wedding, you don't see brides gorging on cake, do you? No, we don't. Like, they go to the gym, they get their extra sessions in, and they prettify themselves and beautify themselves in every possible way. They spend the talent tanning salons and do all those things because they want to, re- to they recognise the significance of it and they recognise the significance of the relationship. Would we consider the significance of the relationship with God as a driving force of why we want to be better together? Why do we want to work together? Why do we want to present ourselves before God as holy and righteous? Because he loves us so much. You are a beautiful bride. Don't let anyone else talk down on you as the church. You are a beautiful bride. Uh, Jesus talks, he, he has a whole lot of parables about uh, the wedding Oh, look, that's, that's, that's us. I thought I'd put that up. Um, that was our wedding day to, as proof that we didn't elope, okay? Um, we didn't elope. We got married. I had hair. It was amazing. Um, Matthew 25, Jesus talks about this. He says the parable of the ten virgins. He's, he's like, the, the, a bunch of these virgins missed out on being at the, at the wedding because they ran out of oil. They weren't prepared. They weren't organized. They weren't working in that space. And it's like, I don't want to over-theologically analyze that, but they, they missed out on the party, of the, the joyfulness, because they weren't involved. They weren't engaged. They weren't prepared for it. And, um, and that's a significant thing. Matthew 22, verse 8, Jesus spoke to them again in this power. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Free food, why would you not come? I don't know. That's, uh, I think that's like, you know, why don't people want to become Christians? I don't get it. It's free food. It's like God wanting to bless and work through you and change your life, transform everything in your life. Why would you not want to be a follower of Jesus? I don't know. Um, but verse 11, but then the king came in to see the guests. He noticed the man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. And it's this, this preparation, this becoming Christ-like is significant for us to enjoy the banquet of what he has for us now and now to come. And so there's this intentional space of 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 working together. And, and that's why we, we, we work together. That's why God has given us gifts. He, it's, he's given us gifts not to pat ourselves on the back to feel good that we become awesome. He, he's given us gifts that, he can prepare, that we can be prepared as his bride for that incredible banquet and celebration. It's like that's where God is glorified when we come together and worship him. It's not about me as an individual. It's about us together. And, and this affects in every area of my lives. Now, my devotion time with God is often just me and God. In my mind, I'm like, oh, it's just me and God. Um, and God had challenged me on that a number of weeks ago. And um, I remember reading a passage of Scripture, and it just came alive. And I'm like, I really feel like this is God is speaking to me about this, but I couldn't make it land. I'm like, I, I, don't, know, I, don't, God, I don't see how this passage of Scripture is speaking to me. And God just said something really clearly and softly into my heart. He's like, it's not for you. This passage of scripture, I want you to share with someone. And he gave me someone. And it's just like, that's, that's kind of understanding when we change our thinking, this transformation thinking that church is not about just us. My devotional time, my time with God is not just about me and God and being best friends. 
It's about working together and growing together, encouraging each other towards becoming fully in Christ. And uh, it's a beautiful picture. I hope, I hope that makes sense because it's, it's something that's really, really significant in our lives. Um, last uh, couple of weeks ago, we had a um, lovely lady come up and say that she's too old to be at Big Arvo because Big Arvo is full of crazies and life and energy and, and had this l- lovely lady come up from, from the church and say, Sam, I'd love to start a life group during Big Arvo just to pray for Big Arvo. I'm like, Yes. That's it. That's it. You know, we are one body recognising that we can all play a part. We, what God, what is my gifting? What are my areas? What are my capacity? What's my opportunity to be a part of what God is doing? You know, we had 122 kids on Friday at Big Arvo. Next week we're talking about the resurrection of Christ at Big Arvo. And it's just like, this excites me. You know, it excites me what God is doing. And I'm like, this is fantastic. But we can all play a part. I'm not just talking youth kids, Big Arvo. I'm talking seniors ministry. I'm talking all things, pastoral care, prayer ministry. There's so much that we can be a part of in the life of the church. Would we go to God and ask, where is my fit? Where do I fit? Revelation 21, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. If you've got your cups, uh, we're going to consider, during communion now, the body of Christ. We're going to consider what he is calling us to be. So if you want to, I'll give you a little sec to try and open it without it going everywhere. And this communion is in the bread, the wafer, is a represented, it's a, it's a symbol of the body of Christ. It's a symbol of us collectively, with Jesus as our head. And it was broken for us, um, literally, but then it, Jesus restored it, and he's restoring us. And uh, so this is something we do, sometimes out of habit, sometimes out of ritual, but we don't want to lose the significance of what this is. This is that Christ brings us together. Communion is common unity. What, what do we have in common? It's Jesus. So all of this is because of Jesus for Jesus. We just want him to be glorified. So would we, as we eat and drink, and the blood is the, the symbol of his blood, what he has done to, to make us right before God, and this is a symbol that we recognise what God has done so that, who, that we, we could become his bride. This is him paying for us to be the beautiful bride. He paid for his beautiful bride. That's us. So let's eat and drink and consider our response to God. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that uh, all of us would consider where we belong. Will you consider what gifts you have given us? Will you consider our fit? Lord, but ultimately, would you transform our minds and our thinking? Would you change our thinking to recognise how much you love the church, how much you love the body, that it's your bride, and that beautiful language you use, would we consider what it is to be a beautiful bride? 
Would we consider the sin that entangles our lives, the things that we're doing that you don't want us to do? Would we not change out of a sense of guilt? But Lord, would we recognise the beauty of the relationship you want us to take hold of? And that sin will stop us and prevent that relationship from happening. So Lord, would you renew our heart and our love for the body of Christ? In Jesus' mighty name, amen.